for several years, and I've just purposed to go ahead and begin to act on it. Uh, Lord willing, you know, I want to say that, Lord willing, he could change it, but uh, uh, I am putting together a trip to Israel in 2021. And uh, my dad uh, goes to a great church in, in Oklahoma, uh, and he is also partnering, we're, we're working together to put together a group from their church that wants to go, and we'll all experience this sort of together. Um, we're going to have just a real brief, orient. I just have a single page kind of an informational sheet for anyone that's interested. Uh, we'll just, how about we gather over here in this section right here, right after service, and uh, I'll just have a brief moment with you, and you won't be long. You'll get to the restaurant, right? And uh, praise God or wherever you're going. Uh, but if you're interested, and I don't mean you have a frivolous, casual interest, but I mean you're, you're, really, you're really interested. Uh, praise God, it's going to cost about $3,200 per person to go. But that's five-star, airline, uh, all of that. It would be a wonderful experience. I, I've gone once. The Lord allowed me to go in 2006 and been a different. It'll just, you're just a different person. It's just life-changing. And uh, praise God. So I don't think I have that money. Well, you could believe for it. We're like 14 months away. You know, God created like the universe, you know. Totally refurnished the whole planet in six days, you know. So God can do a lot in a few days, much less 14 months. So um, praise God. But if you're not serious, it's not a sin. You don't want to go. You don't want to believe God for it. Then, then don't come and act like you're interested, but you're not. Amen. Praise God. And so that's, that's coming for those that want that. Praise God. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> 2 Timothy, chapter number 3, glory to God, and bow your head one more time. Let's get the Lord involved with us here. Father, we so thank you, glory to God, for this moment in time. God, I don't believe we're here by happenstance or random chance, but Father God, it's a divine appointment for all of us, and I don't really care how seasoned a believer is it may be here, how long a student of the Word of God that they have been, there is something for everyone here uh, this morning to receive. And we just so thank you. I'm asking you, Father, as I have already, to give me utterance. I just yield to you as fully and as best as I know how. Take me over altogether, Holy Ghost, and use me as an instrument. Give me utterance. Cause me to be bold. Let the Word of God be spoken as you want it to be, freely and unhindered by any human or demonic or technical force. And God, I pray for those that are receiving today that they'll pull on the gift, they'll be active, they'll be intent, attentive. They're coming with a heart to learn and a, a heart to grab hold and to forever be changed by what they hear. And we just so thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, there are different kinds of services. You've been coming to church, a church that allows the Holy Ghost to move to any degree. You'll, you'll know that. There are just different kinds of services. And we need them all. And one of the problems in spirit-filled churches sometimes is that we try to do too much in a single service. You know, we need to have services where we just praise God. That's all we do. We praise and we worship and we wait on God. There are healing services. And that's the emphasis. That's what God wants to do. He wants to minister healing power. To there are times where we just would be still and reverent and experience His glory and His presence. There are times where we should run and be holy rollers and... Yield to the Holy Ghost and get beyond our flesh. And There are all kinds of services. This service is a teaching service. Right? It's, it happens to be one of the dominant gifts from Jesus in my life. 
Uh, but this is a teaching moment, so you need to take the role of the student. Right? I'm your teacher, and you're the student. Praise God. And we'll all be blessed and bettered by it. Amen. So we're uh, really beginning, for most of you, a series. We got started, I thought, a good start on Wednesday night. Uh, and the title of the series, for now at least, is The Word of God. The Word of God. How many of you have a Bible, a, a, a book, binded Bible here with you today? Raise your hand up. Many of you. Praise God. Well, you know, I wonder if you really know what you have there. Or even in digital format. None of us do like we need to know. Amen. And that's one of the uh, aims that I have in this series is to stir within us and to awaken within us a new appreciation for, a regard for, and an honor and confidence, an honor for and a confidence in the written word of God. Amen. Amen. Let's read the text. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 will be our golden text for this series. It says all scripture. How much of it? All of it. All Scripture is given. So notice it was given by inspiration of God and is profitable or useful, many translations say, for doctrine, that word means teaching, for reproof, that means strong correction, and then correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now why? What's the aim? Well, that or so that. Verse 17, the man of God, and that's you, that's me, regardless of your gender. God doesn't see us. You know, and the Bible says that there is in Christ neither male nor female. In, in terms, He doesn't care about gender. Now, in other words, marriage and all that, your gender matters. But in spiritual things, it really doesn't. <laughs> that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me read this to you from the Phillips translation. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching the faith and for correcting error. It is useful for resetting the direction of a man's life. Isn't that awesome? It is useful for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him or her in good living. The scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of the man of God and fit him fully for all branches of his work. The Weiss translation says that all scripture is God breathed. God breathed. Now just listen to me, look at me for a moment. You know, every human being, saved or unsaved, on this planet, believes things. Right? Praise God. You just let me know if you, you don't, if, you, if I lose you. <laughs> uh, Pat. Every one of us, every person, we believe things. Every one of us over time, we have a belief system. We have a system of belief. We see the world through a prism. Is that not right? We do, whether you know it or not. Every single person over time begins to rely on some sort of strength or source, or foundation to decide for themselves what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral, what is good, what is profitable, what is not, what is evil, if there is such a thing. Amen? All of these kinds of things, people are looking to something, they're basing their belief on some sort of foundation, 
And most human beings have never spent any significant quality time evaluating and thinking about the strength and the reliability of what they're building their life on. Amen? I think one of life's most important questions that we need to ask ourselves and seek the answer to are, I'm going to give you three questions. What do I believe? Sitting there today watching on live stream, listen, what do you believe? Number two, why do you believe it? Now, a lot of people just are quick to spout off, me too probably, spout off, this is what I believe. Well, I believe. But they don't ask that second question. Why do you believe it? Is your belief valid? Amen. Amen. Then number three, the question is, on what authority does what I believe stand on? How can we know with any degree, hopefully absolute certainty, that what we believe is in fact right and true? Now we live in one of the most messed up cultures and generations and mentalities out there. And it's not new, we've become really accustomed to it. And it's like we live in a kumbaya society. Right? People will say, this is what I believe. People will say things, especially young people, they'll say things like, oh, that's true. That's true for you. But that's not true for me. That's not my truth. I have never heard such poppycosh. Such bunk. And are, are we, have we become so intellectually dumbed down that we're going to, to base life's most serious contemplations, decisions, directions, and beliefs on, well, this is what I believe. That's what I believe. That's what I've always believed. And that's just the way it is. When you want to apply that thinking to matters of is there a God or not? Are you accountable to Him if there is one? What does He want from you and where are you going to go when you die? I hope what you believe about those mighty important questions is a little deeper than this is what I believe. Now, I'm trying to make you laugh and whatever, but I'm, I'm not, and I'm not making fun. I'm just saying people are so cavalier. And literally people every day, today, in this moment, people in death are hurling themselves out into eternity based on nothing more than, that's what I believe. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to be brutally confronted with truth. In a location, place, and time where they are now unable to change the course and the outcome of their goofy thinking. Amen. What do you believe? Why do you believe it? And on what authority is the foundation of what you believe and how reliable is that? Amen. Again, and I know many of you, I'm preaching to the choir, but some, maybe not. And again, God has much for all of us in this series. Most human beings, regardless of culture out there, 
believe that there is some sort of God out there. Well, that person that believes that needs to ask themselves, okay, there's a God, He made me, what's He want? Who am I to Him? What does He want from me? Am I, like I said, am I accountable to Him to any degree? Right? I would want to know that. Okay, there's a God. I didn't make myself. I'm made by God. Right? I mean, if I make something, I form it, I fashion it, I make it, I own it. Is that not right? And that's what humanity doesn't like, that fact, that they are owned. Amen? Most of the time, I understand people are not really, in their hearts, that intellectually flippant. They say things like that to shut down someone trying to talk to them or witness to them. Ah, that's just what I believe. It's just a defense mechanism. But the question and the dilemma remains for every human. I walk into Starbucks, and I like the Starbucks. Uh, don't talk to me about the company. I like them. I like their coffee. And I like our Starbucks. And there's some goofed up people everywhere. Everywhere. And some of them frequent Starbucks. I walked in there. There's a precious young man. I'm not criticizing him. But he had a girl's blouse on. Like a black velvet thing. And a big, big little party hat. And drinking. And, you know, and I'm not going to bother him. But you can just see how people are thinking and living. And go, dude, you, you need. If you knew. You would want me to sit down and talk to you. Right? But you know, again, you want to do it. They, uh, 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 you know, that's true for you. That's not true for me. But could I just say something to you? There is such a thing as absolute truth. Oh, no, there isn't. There is no such thing that is absolutely true. Do you absolutely believe that? Yeah. Then you just proved that there is such a thing as absolute truth. It doesn't matter if you're secular or religious. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Muslim. It doesn't matter if you're a Hindu or you don't know what you are. There are things out there that are undeniably true. We all go up to the pinnacle 34 feet and we hurl ourselves off. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, young or old, black or white, Hindu, Muslim, whatever you're going to go down because the law of gravity is absolutely true. It is absolutely true that there are only two genders. Not six, not eight, not twelve. God made them male. God made them female. And that is all. You know, as a pastor, I stand here week after week after week in my life preaching from these pages. Is that right? Yes. And I do all I can to get you to trust your very life to the words on these pages. And I'm not kidding about it. No preacher worth his salt is kidding about it. I, I, I endeavor to so convince people of the veracity of the words on these pages, that if a doctor told them you have two weeks to live, you cannot be helped, you're beyond the help of anyone, medical science, that you could reject that, would reject that, and believe what's written here and not what the doctor says. Now that's, that kind of thing is a tall order. Is that not right? I, I, am I not asking 
I'm asking people to obey what it says, to change their life. I'm asking them to uh, agree with what this says about what it says about right and wrong and uh, marriage and sexual relationships and homosexuality and every big and small thing there is. Is that not right? In fact, this human being right here, I stand behind this pulpit like preachers across the land endeavoring to get you to trust your very soul and your eternal destiny to those words. Well, come on. I, again, I know that's no small thing. It is so vitally important that you take time to discover for yourself what do you hold in your hand? What is that? I'm asking you to give 10% of your income minimum to this church. Most human beings today be like, I don't see any good reason why I should do that. <laughs> right? I, I didn't get to talk about it yet today, but at the end, the last Sunday, we're going to take our first special projects offering of the month. It's going to take at least $25,000 to, to update this sanctuary, finish the carpet, get some new seats, and, you know, praise God. And I'm going to be asking for gifts and offerings and sacrifices. Why should you give a rip? Amen. I mean, why would any young person not have sex until they get married based on this well again if you knew if you knew what it was if you were convinced down to your bones for yourself that man did not come up with this but that it was, in fact, a written, divine, supernatural revelation of the mind, plan, and purpose of God for all humans. That the Creator loved us enough to write it down. That any time we got ready, we could fellowship with the mind and the heart and the plan and the purpose and the standard of the God who made us. Until you individually become convinced, as I have been, of the divine origin of the Bible, you can never have the kind of faith that's going to bring results and please God. Never. And many of you... You know, you've, maybe you grew up in church and the Bible's just something that's always been a part of your life and, and you believe it and that's good, but you need to go beyond that. Why do you believe it? Oh, because as Mama said, it was God's Word. Well, thank God for Mama. Thank God for that. You know, you can hear the right thing and it be the right thing, but you, there's a greater depth of revelation and knowledge and an anchoring that God wants to build in the soul of every person because mama said it's not going to be strong enough when you're facing demons, bankruptcy, financial attack, depression, the spirit of suicide, sickness, disease, and the calamity that's coming on the world. 
you're going to have, a deep, have to have a deeper connection and understanding of what it is you hold there. How sure is it? How steadfast? Amen. Where did it come from? So that's my goal, is to awaken in you a new sense of wonder, to stir up a fresh sense of awe and honor, to enlighten you and embolden you to commit yourself more fully than ever before to the God of the Bible. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. So you ready? (laughs) You mean we're just starting? Yeah, we're just starting. Hallelujah. (laughs) So let me just share with you some Bible basics. Bible basics. Do you know the word Bible is not in the Bible? The word Bible is not in the Bible. Where does it come from? Where? Well, the Greek word for Bible, the English word that comes from Bible is Biblia. Biblia. And it simply translates to the books. The books, as I'm sure you know, the Bible is not one volume. It is a collection of writings. It is a collection of books. Thus, we termed it, and rightly so, the Bible or the books. Now, the Bible is named many other names in the Bible itself, in the writings. Let me give you some of those. Amen. Now, listen, uh, if you're going to try to write furiously, God bless you. Have fun with that. But you can have a copy of these notes if you like. Just take them home. The reason I didn't um, put one in your hand right now is because everybody just looks down. I don't get to see your lovely faces. So (laughs) praise God. Uh, We'll make this available and I'll even post them to our website. Amen. So other names of the Bible are the Scripture. We just read that in 2 Timothy. It's also called the Scriptures. It's called the Holy Scriptures. I've got Scriptures right by this that actually show where where that is written. It's called the Promises. It's called the Living or the Lively Oracles. It's called the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. It's called the Law of the Lord. Uh, Again, it's called the Law and the Prophets, the Book of the Lord, the Word of God, the Sword of the Spirit, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Word of Christ, the Word of Life, the Scripture Truth, the Word of Truth, and the Gospel of Christ. Amen. Amen. We call it the Bible. Amen. Again, as you know, the Bible is divided primarily into two covenants. You have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, right? So in your pages, the publisher would probably put a, a published page, the Old Testament, right? The New Testament. The word testament simply means covenant. What is a covenant? Remember in 2019 we did a whole series on covenant. Every God is a covenant God. This God out there, according to the Bible, is a covenant-minded God. He does everything and all His dealings with humanity based on covenant. Well, what's a covenant? Well, it's a solemn oath. It's a solemn agreement. It means Russell and I, if we come into a covenant, there's going to be some things that I promise, that I commit. There's going to be some things that He promises, that He commits. And the more serious it is, the more ceremony there might be. Right? Some covenants are made to be the binding of the hands. There might even be the shedding of blood. The blood covenant is the most serious and solemn of all human covenants. And God cut a covenant of blood with humanity. Amen. Amen. In other words, what that means is God is saying, listen, here's what I'm offering. Here's what I'm making available. Here's what I will 
here's what you can absolutely expect me as God to do for you. And then on the other side, here's, if you want to enter into this covenant, here's what I demand and I expect of you on your side. Amen. Now, the old covenant is made up of 37, I believe, or 39, 39 individual books or writings. Amen. Those writings primarily consist of God's history and dealings with the Hebrew people or the Jewish people. Now, Genesis, of course, much of Genesis. We'll talk about the origins of we as Christians. What do we believe about how all this got here? Well, it's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 1. That in the beginning, God. I mean, those are some powerful words. Now listen, you don't, no human being has to believe them. But if you're smart, you better go out there and dispute them. What better explanation is out there other than those powerful words, in the beginning, God? I think it was my son Rex that was uh, doing some sort of study in his schoolwork or biology. Yeah, he was, aren't you studying the cell, a singular cell? And as you've, the curriculum has gotten, it's just so intricately complicated. (laughs) The operation of one singular tiny cell. Uh And it takes billions or trillions of them to form you, just your body. You can believe if you want to that all of that just kind of randomly came to pass by accident. And listen, if you choose to believe that, you have more faith than me. That don't make no sense to me. It's a lot easier for me to believe in the beginning God. But every individual must make their own choice. But the Bible tells you about the origin of the universe. How we got here. And why God put us down here. Amen. You know, the Quran won't offer you that. Now, I'm thinking about reading the Quran, but from what I know and understand about it, they don't offer any explanation about how the origins of everything. And I just saw it quoted. You know what Buddha's advice to everyone was? Seek truth. <laughs> you know what you, you know, I saw you post that. A quote from, yeah, some, I think it was you. That's what Buddha, that was Buddha's advice to everybody. Seek truth. Well, evidently he didn't have any. That's actually pretty good counsel. Because any human being, I don't care where they live, in what culture, if they seek truth, they're going to find a person. Because Jesus is the truth. Where did I get that? From the Bible. <laughs> let, me, let me just tell you something about how I thought. You remember, I, uh, you know, I, I made God a promise. Remember in the frat party? I made God a promise. Well, one of the first things I did was, I did have this question and this thought. If, if I'm going to conform my whole life, change everything about my life. According to what that says, I need to know for myself that God wrote that. Because if some mentally disturbed philosopher 
or some guy hides a kite, or some intellectual in some school sat down and started writing, I'm going to go back to drinking beer. Right? I needed to become convinced for myself that the God I believed in, that there was a God out there, that He's the one that authored and wrote the Bible. My second thought was, if I can become convinced of that fact, I would be a fool not to believe everything it said and do everything it commanded. See, this is where it gets in your business. Because many of you say, that's God's Word. Why aren't you doing it then? Oh yeah, that's, that's God's inspired Word. That's the Holy Writ. Why don't you believe it then? Why are you so quick to throw it away when trouble comes? Why are you so easily moved by your emotions and your circumstances when you say that that is the divine, God-breathed Word of God coming from a being who cannot lie? It doesn't make sense. See, we've lost. Faithful, church-going Christians have lost proper regard for the Word. Oh, I love Jesus all my heart. How come you don't go to church? Oh, because I believe you can be a good Christian and not go to church. That's not what the manual says. You see what I mean? We come up all with, do mental gymnastics come up with all little funny and frilly excuses for why we don't do, don't believe, don't obey, don't follow through, don't hold to what is written, yet we say we believe every word from Genesis to Revelation. You're lying to yourself. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. So again, I'm not putting anybody down. A lot of times, you know, even me, pastors, you just get up and assume that y'all agree that this is the book we ought to be basing everything on without helping people to understand why, why. Well, anyway, back to my testimony real quick. That's what I did for about the next year and a half. I was investigating critically the Bible. Could I find a contradiction? Could I find an error? Could I find something prophesied that was wrong, that didn't come to pass? Could I find a scientific statement that ended up to be absolutely untrue, proven by all that is observable? It makes historical facts. Well, I could check them out, and I did in many areas. Can I? Because if they're wrong about it, then I can't trust the words. And part of me was kind of looking for a reason not to be a Christian. Listen, Christian, you need not be afraid of the skeptic. That's right. This is not equal to any other religious writing. That's right. The Book of Mormon doesn't belong within a hundred feet of this book. That's right. It belongs in the shredder. Yes. So does the Apocrypha. It may have some historical value, some good things in it, but it, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hallelujah. The Quran? No. No other book comes close. Anyway, for me, I took this journey. I took this journey myself. I became so, the more I dug and the more I looked and the more I criticized, 
You know, and there's websites out there that say, oh, the Bible's a lie, and here's 50 proofs of how the Bible's a lie, and give you scriptures where they're contradicting. And I looked them up, and I just did a scan study, said, oh, they missed it there. No, that's not right. No, there's context here. No. And you just have it all undone, all their error of what they called the Bible's error, and, and when in fact it's perfect. I'm telling you what, I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug, and all I did was become utterly convinced man could not have written what is written. By himself. And if he could have, he wouldn't have. That's right. That's right. What red-blooded man that's normal would write the words, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. See, that's, that's Bible proof right there that man didn't write the Bible. Right. Man would not, even if they could have written it, they would not have written it. <laughs> well, anyway, I just got to the end of this journey somewhere along the way, and I just said, all right, it's supernatural. It has divine origin. It is God's holy word. Now what am I going to do? Are you going to be a fool? Are you a fool? Chris, are you a fool? No, I'm not a fool. What must I do then? Read it, breathe it, eat it, Sleep it. Obey it. Act on it. Change my mind to it. What I thought was right and that says wrong, flush what I thought was right, adopt that which it says is right. And this is the responsibility and the journey of every single Christian. What do you believe about the Bible? I will never ever forget my dad's retirement party from Southwestern Bell, he was forced into early retirement. Really wasn't of a retirement age. I was still a teenager back then. And uh, my dad was a new Christian, just a Christian several years old and hot and on fire for God and such a witness. And there was probably a crowd of 50 or more employees, family and friends that had gathered there to celebrate his retirement. And I just stood there and I don't think I've ever been more proud of my dad. My God. And he just stood up there and talked about, you know, how many of you I have endeavored to personally witness to, and you've seen a change in my life. And he talked to him about the reality of heaven and hell. And one of the things I remember he said, he said, uh, you don't have to listen to me. But listen, if you're wrong, what are you risking? If you're wrong about saying there is no God, there is no hell. If you're wrong, what are you risking? Then think about it, he said, my friends, if I'm wrong, what am I risking? I'm just going to be dead like you. But if you're wrong, and I'm right, and the Bible's right, what are you risking? Never forgot it. Never forgot it. Amen. Because my dad had and has a wonderful and right relationship with the Word. Now, one of the things God, I was walking, I had done a lot of study, and I was, uh, where's the time go? Uh, I'm just walking around, and the Lord just seemed to quicken me. He said, you know, son, um, have you ever really thought the people that you're wanting to convince, is good, he's got me on this trail. He said, many of them, they have faith in my word, but they've not done what you're talking about. And I said, oh, yeah, I know that's true. But he said, here's another wonder about my word. My word produces faith in it. Mm -hmm. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Why is it that you just believe what you've heard all your life? And you haven't even scrutinized it, examined it, investigated it. Because the words in the book produce faith in them. Hallelujah. Amen. So back uh, again, Old Testament the, uh, has several divisions. You can divide it up a lot of different ways. Um, the first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch or the law. Uh, it is to a Jew, the most holy and sacred of all the scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy make up the Pentateuch. Over time, as more books were getting, you have the poetic writings of the Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, Lamentations, Song of Solomon. Amen. You have prophetic books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, so forth and so on. Amen. And so the Old Testament by an Orthodox Jew had over time as the Bible was, was given and, and progressively completed. Uh, praise God. The, to a Jew, they would call the, their Bible the Torah. The Torah is the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. And they would summarize that. Amen. Now, of course, Jesus came along as their Messiah. And we have the New Testament is comprised of four biographical accounts of His life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Amen. And then the true era of the new covenant, a new covenant, a new arrangement between God and His people, was ushered in by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. Now again, anything that I say that would just interest you or that comes to you as you're thinking, go investigate it. It's an exciting, wonderful thing. Go and say, is there any historical, archaeological, testimonial evidence outside the Bible for the resurrection? And you will find there's tons. The resurrection of the man Jesus from Nazareth is one of the most well-documented and easily proven events in human history that there's ever been, if you cared to look at it. But many people, they don't want to because they want to go sin. (laughs) Right? They won't go do what they want to do. The New Testament has one historical book called the book of Acts. It has one apocryphic book or a prophetic book called Revelation. The rest of the New Testament is made up of epistles, which simply means letters. Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of those. Peter wrote several. John wrote several. And then there are others like um, uh, Jude, James, right? Uh, Peter, like I said, mentioned, right? And so, can you give me just a few more minutes? This would just be a bad place to stop right here. Okay. So according to our text, the Bible, and this is one thing that's interesting, the Bible throughout the Bible makes claims. Mm-hmm. Makes claims. You know, if, if, if you were fake, you would want to make as few claims as possible. If you're fake. Because the more claims you make, the more opportunity you put out there to be proven a liar. Amen. But the Bible makes claims, makes all kinds of claims. Well, the claim here is what? I mean, you don't have to believe Paul, but what does he say? He says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, what's that mean? Let's talk about that a moment. Well, we know in the Greek it literally means God breathed. That the Scriptures were given how? He breathed them. 
They were God-breathed. They were divinely inspired. So the Bible claims, if it's true, amen, divine inspiration. Something beyond the natural capacity of man. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, think about this for a moment. The Bible, the collection of the books, Old and New Testament, it took 1,800 years, 18 centuries, 18 100-year periods of time to get the Bible in written form as it consists. Right? You study it, that's what you'll find. You think about the differences in time and culture and scientific advancement. You think the scientific written at the end of the 1800 is going to be the same as the beginning? Let's say some goofy scientist at the beginning, you know, year zero, wrote a book on science. Think about all that's changed in the knowledge and body of science you get 1800 years later. And he writes a book. You compare them. Are they going to be unified? They're going to be the same? They're going to be in perfect agreement? I don't think so. What about, you know, a guy that wrote on, uh, on uh, uh, morality, standards of morality in a culture at year zero, and another guy over here writes one 1,800 years later, they're going to be in agreement? No. Not only was the Bible written over a period of 1,800 years, God used over 40 different men to pen those scriptures. Get 40 people in a room in the same culture and year and have them write. You think they're going to be in agreement? No. You get two guys together, you talk about a hunting strategy, and it's going to be, you know, going to be no agreement in there nowhere. Right? I mean, you listen to my girls in the kitchen making chocolate chip cookies, and they can't get agreement about the best way to do it. Right? But you think about it, 40 different men and think, here's, think about this. You'll find out these men consist of both kings, priests, prophets, fishermen, a physician, tax collectors. Some were judges, others were soldiers, tent makers, others were musicians, poets, politicians, and farmers. Each one of them lived in their own time, many separated by many centuries. Most of these men never met or knew one another. Right? That's you just study. With vast changes in language and culture. These men had no knowledge of what the other had written many times. Does that make sense to you? They came from different continents. And yet, when you read the Bible, it has one voice has one voice. You know, if you read, I only have what? Uh, I have what? Four books in publication? Light, Prophet, Honor, Faith, Faithfulness. Three or four books. What it means to be Spirit-filled. Listen, you take those books, you hand them randomly someplace else, you strip them of the cover and the title of my author, and you'll see all those books written on different subjects in different times. It's got one voice. It's me. One writing yeah. style. Yeah. One voice. Yeah. You'd be able to tell it was me if you knew me. Yeah. You have Pastor Nancy writing on those same subjects? You're going to be a, it's going to be a different voice. You put my name on it, it's going to go, if you know me, that doesn't sound like him. You know, you, and you just go to reading. You know who this sounds like? Sounds like God. 
God's got a voice. Sounds like him. You know, the book of Job was written way back there around the time the pyramids were built. That's a long time ago. You have some of these written as late as 95 A.D., the book of Revelation. It's a lot of times. But you know, although there's not one single contradiction. Not one single contradiction. Not one single substantive disagreement on all... Think about the Bible subjects. History, science, morality, worship, religious practice, approach towards God. All these different writers, there's not one hint of an even a break, a contradiction, a disagreement. Unity, unity in the Bible is one of the greatest proofs of its divine origin. Man's not smart enough to craft a volume that has no errors, no disagreements, no contradictions. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. I'm just trying to give you a little bit of taste of what you have there in your lap. Amen. Listen to this from Finest Dick. I'm not going to go much longer. Hang in there. Suppose 40 medical men, each in a different land and age, would each write their own book on how to cure a particular disease. What kind of cure would such collections make? How much unity would there be among their writings? Collect together 40 books on the same subject. Pick a subject, each written by a different author, and see how many contradictions and controversies would exist between their writings. Some will try to prove how the others are wrong and why their theory is right. This is all too apparent to those who have read different authors on any one subject. There is no unity of thought between the books of men on any subject. But there is perfect unity between the books of the Bible which speak of hundreds of subjects in the realm of religion, politics, science, etc. This proves that there is one divine author for all 66 books. Who else but a divine author could produce such a work? Hallelujah. Yet with all of this, the Bible has one theme, one heart boy, undeniable unity, one voice behind it, the none other, that voice none other than God Himself. Let's close today, but I just want to give you some highlights about uh, how the Bible actually came. How did it actually come in practical terms? Well, number one, it came by revelation. It came by revelation. God above decided to reveal portions of His Word, plans, and purposes to certain men, and He instructed them to write it down. For example... John the Revelator on the island of Patmos. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.1. Which God gave him. Now you want to call that a lie of fabrication. You better prove it. Amen. It says God gave him this revelation to show his servants things which must shortly take place. He sent and signified this revelation by his angel to his servant John. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, and to the, all the things that he saw. So that's what revelation is. He was in prayer one day, and God showed up, and gave him a revelation, and he saw things. And throughout there, he said, write that down. Oh, and by the way, write that down. Oh, and here's seven letters to the church. Write that down. You see all these angels in the throne? Write that down. Here's what they look like. Here's what the throne looked like. 
showed him the future about the coming of the Antichrist, the judgments that would fall. Write that down. So parts of the Bible came through a personal, supernatural revelation from God to a man. Right? Paul said in Galatians, the gospel I preached unto you, unto you people, I did not get from man. This gospel. He didn't get it from man. So see, he didn't collaborate with Peter so that they could be on the same page because we've got a false religion we're building here. And yet they, they both agree. Paul, what he taught, what you read about, where did he get it? He said he got it not from man, that it didn't come from man, but by personal revelation from Jesus Christ. Evidently, the risen Christ came and visited Paul. And said, now here's how this is. And revealed to him what he bought, what he purchased, and what's all available. And he said, write that down. Amen? And in good, God good that Paul's been dead 2,000 years, 1,900, whatever. Yet we, we gain from the benefit, from the revelation of it. Here is another way that the Bible came, that you actually got what's there in your lap. It says at other times that the Spirit of God moved on a man and he used all their, the Holy Ghost came on him and used all their natural faculties, their mind, their thoughts, to write a record of all that they had seen and heard. So, for instance, 1 John 1 1. Are you bored? Hope not. It says, John says in opening his letter, 1 John, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands. We're reading a man who said, listen folks, I'm trying to get this over to you. I know you're far off in time, Sarah, but just believe me, I handled Jesus. I hugged Him. I laid my head on His breast. He's a real guy. And I'm writing down what I saw, what I heard, what my eyes have looked upon, what my hands have handled concerning the Word of life. 1 John 1, 3 says, That which we have seen and that which we have heard, we declare to you. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father. So do you see the Holy Ghost moved on them to write a testimony of what they personally saw, witnessed, and handled and did. Amen. Another way that God produced the written words of your Bible is that God touched their mouth. Literally, He touched their mouth and caused them to speak His words. So look at what Peter said. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. Woo! Praise God. Are you with me in that? So, and here's an example. 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2, David says this. It is recorded about David the king. Now these are the last words of David. David said, I am the son of Jesse, the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God, the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. And I say, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. And His word was in my tongue. So the power of the Most High, the power of God climbed up on David's being and touched his mouth and out came Psalm 23, Psalm 1, Psalm 91. Amen. Although Psalm 91 was probably penned by Moses. See, the Holy Ghost will come on a man and 
use it, right? It says in, about Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah is a young person. He didn't want to do it. He said, oh, don't worry about it, Jeremiah. I have touched your mouth. This is what Jeremiah said that, that happened to him with God. The Lord put forth His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And what you have is the book of Jeremiah. Believe it, don't believe it, that's up to you. Another example is that some of the words that you have, God wrote Himself. He told Moses, come up on the mountain. Come up on the mountain. He was there for 40 days and for 40 nights without food or water. God sustained him in that glory. And it says in Exodus 31 verse 18 that God gave Moses two tablets of stone upon which he wrote ten commandments by and with the finger of God. Oh, we don't have to keep those ten commandments today. You nuts. He wrote that with a finger. You know, God, uh, there's another king named Belteshazzar. And he was having Nebuchadnezzar's son. He was having a drunken party. And he was drinking out of holy vessels he stole from the Jews. And he was mocking the God of Israel. And all of a sudden, a hand appeared and wrote an inscription on the wall. And God wrote words Himself on the wall. And you know what those words said? You have been measured and been found wanting. I think he died that night. God wrote His Word on the wall about what He thought about that king. <laughs> Praise God. Last example, and then I will give you my closing here. I hope you come back. I have so much in my heart to share with you about this subject. Uh, praise God. Another way that the Bible came is that um, God, again, by His Spirit, the Holy Ghost is involved in all of it. He breathed on people. And for instance, well, I'm not going to have you turn there, but Luke chapter 1, go read it as he opens. He said, he's writing to a, someone he knew named Theophilus. And he said, oh, Theophilus, it seemed good to me also to write down an account of all that we have witnessed about Jesus Christ, His teachings, His life. Notice it says, it just seemed good to me. So he sat there and he began with his pen to write. And God was in it all. God was inspiring it all. God climbed up in his mind, gave him the words, worked through his thoughts. And when you get to the end of Luke chapter 24, verse whatever, you have a divinely inspired biography of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says, many have been written of the accounts. Where are they all? They didn't meet to muster. They showed no evidence of divine inspiration. So they're historical, but they're not in your Bible. You have four of these. Can I say, and please understand what I'm about to say. I have only experienced this to the minutest measure. Much of what I have written. It, it obviously, not the Bible. But can I just tell you, I have experienced a measure of how this mode works. That, that there's just an anointing on me. You might not like them, but there's just an anointing on me to write books. I haven't been as faithful to it as I need to be. <laughs> I'm trying. But anyway... But there have been times where I would sit down on that keyboard and there is a force. There is a movement. There is a... It's me, 
but it's Him on me and Him in me and He's helping me. To get down, it's not, it doesn't rise, obviously. I'm not claiming that. Don't walk out of here and say something goofy about me. I'm just saying you can experience, you know, our sermons ought to be inspired. That's what you want. You come here and read the Reader's Digest. That's why people are getting tired of that bunk out there. There's no life in that. But God's Word came that way. You know, there's got to be just something on David. Hmm. Ooh, that's something, something's on me. Give me my heart. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Right? And he just takes off. And when he gets to the end of that short song, he's got to have stepped back and go, that's good. That is really good. Right? We still, God is still God today. Prophecy, like we had this morning. If the vessel's yielded and yielding product, not adding things and mixing stuff to it, it's just as much God, right? But this is how you got your Bible. Amen. Let me close by reading this to you. As a literary composition, the Bible is the most remarkable book ever made. It is a divine library of 66 books, some of, of comparable in size, some no, longer, no larger than a tract. These books include various forms of literature, history, biography, poetry, proverbial sayings, hymns, letters, directions for worship, laws, parables, riddles, allegories, prophecy, drama, and all other forms of human expression. They embrace all manner of literary styles. It cannot be excelled from any standpoint. It is the book that contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It's okay to get excited. Hallelujah. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here heaven is opened and the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject. Our good, it's designed, and the glory of God, it's end. It should fill your memory, rule your heart, and guide your feet in righteousness and true holiness. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully, meditatively, searchingly, and devotionally. Study it constantly, perseveringly, and industriously. Read it through and through until it becomes a part of your being and generates faith that will move mountains. It is a mine of wealth, the source of health, the world of pleasure. It is given to you in this life, will be opened at the judgment, and will last forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the least to the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. It is a mirror to reflect, a hammer to convict, a fire to refine, a seed to multiply. It is water to cleanse, a lamp to guide, food to nourish, including milk for babes, bread for the hungry, and meat for men. It is honey for dessert. It is rain and snow to refresh. It is a sword to swing and to cut. It is a bow to revenge. It is gold to enrich. It is power to create both life and faith. Sow it as a seed. Obey it like a law. Drink it like milk. Consume it like bread or meat. Take it like a medicine. Swing it like a sword. Shine it like a light. Live it like a lifestyle. Meditate on it. Act upon it. Trust it with your life. Declare it. Preach it. Teach it. Prophesy it. Memorize it. Print it, post it, share it. Let it guide you, correct you, mold you, shape you, instruct you, and tell you who you are. 
For the Word of God is sure, it's true, it's faithful, it's right, it's just, it's tested, it's proven. It will bring you salvation, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, health, and prosperity. It will bring you peace, comfort, joy, hope, faith, love, compassion, judgment, warning, correction, rebuke, encouragement, and answers for every circumstance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs>